Let's lock in. <laughs> welcome, welcome. We are back for a very special episode, actually, of the lock in. I'm David Lappin, alongside IPT Killarney final tableist Dara O'Kearney. Dara, congrats on that result there a week or so ago. Uh, thanks, uh, David. Yeah, it was, it was nice to make a, a final table. I actually thought it was my first final table this year, but then I, I look back and it's actually my third live final table. But it's it's certainly the first one that felt big. Um, so, yeah, I, I would have liked to go a bit farther, obviously, but ran very well to get there. No complaints. It, this is the bit where you're supposed to say it's an honour to be alongside uh, Unibet DSO Marrakesh Mincasher David Lappin. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Well done on that, Mincash. Uh, <laughs> Marrakesh is not even that far to fly to get one in an incredibly soft. What can I only imagine is incredibly soft field. <laughs> it was it was very soft. I have to be honest. Um, well, I said it was a special episode. That is because we will be revealing uh, the winner of our huge chip race Unibet Open Bad Beat competition. Thirty seven entries in total. We were delighted to see such a big uh, uptake on this one. Uh, boiled down to 10 finalists by Dara and I, which we then handed over so we wouldn't get blamed to the discerning folks over at poker.org to select a winner. So with that in mind, joining us this week to announce the winner and to run down the top five with us uh, is poker player, poker writer and live events manager for poker.org, Terence Reed. Terence, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, good to be here. And our panel has put that responsibility onto me. So I'll share the news <laughs> with everyone uh, announcing one winner and everyone else, uh, you know, second runner ups. But congratulations to to both of you guys on those uh, equally impressive recent scores. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Terrence. Appreciate that. Um, we are very excited to talk about the competition, of course, but we're going to save that for the last segment of this episode just to keep people in suspense a little bit longer and tuned in a little bit longer well as good for the metrics um i mentioned there that you are live events manager now at poker org we've been very complimentary of what poker org have brought to the media landscape in the past couple of years and i'm interested to know what your role entails sure well <laughs> my role is fairly new but uh, you know treated basically like a startup where everybody does a little bit of everything and everybody pitches in. But thankfully, in these last couple of months, we've defined people's roles a little bit more just to give some clarity and responsibility. And so holding the title Live Events Manager, we've ramped up our live presence at live events quite a bit just in this past 12 months, starting at the PSPC in, in January. We were at the WSOP this summer. We've been, we're now the official content partners with the WSOP circuit. We work with the world poker tour we'll be there this december so just a lot of logistics and having people in the right places in our content strategy and how we're going to cover these events and what each individual provider wants uh, managing the multimedia like social media posting videos interviews that sort of thing and then in addition uh, the training and the hiring of the people that we're bringing on because as we expand the events that we go to we need more and more people who can do the things that we do and sometimes it's kind of hard to find those people who can wear those many different hats. So basically, I'm the first guy that that handles those logistics of those events and decides how many people are going to be where and what our content strategy is. But it, there's a large team that makes those decisions. Uh, I'm just the, the, the first go-to guy, basically. Okay, well, that was the softball. Here's the hardball now. <laughs> poker Org says they represent the independent voice of poker players. They see themselves as something of a conduit for player opinion, as distinct from, I suppose you could say, a more cynical operator's brand messaging. Um, how does that work in practice when you guys take 
the gig as official media partner of, for example, someone like WSOP Circuit you mentioned there. Do WSOP have expectations that rub up against Poker Org's mission statement? I don't think so. Um, I think we're very much uh, neutral. Of course, when we're brought on to a WSOP site, our goal is to tell the stories of what's happening in the room, um, just to broaden the reach of these live events. Like WSOP Circuit, the players themselves are the ones who have been craving the attention, who've been craving the media, the following. These people follow the circuits around the country, chasing rings, chasing these prizes. So yeah, they're one provider, but we we don't say they're better than other poker players. It's good for the game or better than other poker providers, but it's good to the game to shine a light on anyone that are willing to put on these events. And so when we, when we travel, our goal is just to say, look, what's happening in... Indiana. Look what's happening here in uh, southern or northern Missouri and all these places that maybe doesn't get a lot of media attention. Uh, we, we've kind of stepped in to fill that role and show people what it's like to play these events. And, you know, we're not ex exclusive providers of WSOP. They're just one provider that we work with and we're happy to do so. Is it not just the case that no matter where you go with the WSOP circuit, it's just covering Ari Engel's, you know, umpteenth bracelet <laughs> or umpteenth ring, I should say? <laughs> Volume kind of makes that necessary, unfortunately. And of course, it's a good story when these guys at the top get another ring. Um, but it is very much something that we discuss that we don't want to just cover the low-hanging fruit of the Ari Engel winning the 16th ring. We also want to highlight somebody who has never been in front of a camera before, who's winning their first ring, who this is like, they, uh, you know, they only get one weekend out of the year to come play poker. And they've, they've gone to Council Bluffs, Iowa to do so because it's the closest poker room. Like those are the stories, the real people's stories that we really want to tell. Ari deserves the attention. Maurice Hawkins is always going to get the attention. The people who are at the top and are playing all, <laughs> all, all these uh, all these events, you know, they're going to get it. And those stories naturally come to us and we're there and we're happy to be there and capture them. But it's it's the talking with the people that don't get that attention that oftentimes we find the most engaging and exciting. And our audience also shares the same feelings based on the numbers. Those are the videos that blow up. Very good. I, I've always thought of uh, Ari as low-hanging fruit myself. Um, speaking of the WSOP, there is a bracelet series coming up in November, December in the Bahamas. Gigi Poker, who I believe are buying WSOP or intend to, I'm not sure the status of that deal specifically. They're also involved in this stop. And this week I wrote a couple of pretty critical articles, i got to say, about some let's generously call them shenanigans going on with regard to the 15 million guarantee they put on that festival. Um, for anyone who doesn't know this story, in August, GG and WSOP made some headlines with the promise of that 50 million guarantee in the Atlantis. It must be said that initial interest in the festival was probably a little bit underwhelming, maybe a little lower than they had hoped, mostly down to, I think, the popularity of two already pretty massive festivals on both sides of the pond. EPT Prague is a staple of the European poker scene, normally the second biggest festival of the year here. And last year, it broke records, even though the WPT World Championship was also on and it obliterated its own record setting live guarantee by almost double, um, boldly announcing a 40 million guarantee for its 10K event this year. So I suppose where are my gripes in all of this? Well, Dara, Gigi are running satellites for this festival. Nothing weird there, of course. But what is weird is they're deducting from the live event prize pool the money for hotels and lunch buffets, which, by the way, they're saying is 6,500 for 11 days. 
Uh, obviously, it's common practice to run qualifiers for live events where a certain portion of the money won in the satellite is, you know, uh, earmarked for expenses, hotels and incidentals and whatnot. Um, but it's unusual for that money to be removed from the advertised live um, guarantee in the main events case, 15 million and in another example, I think they've acknowledged that their five million guaranteed side event will now actually be at most four point three five million as a consequence. Yeah, I guess it is unusual. But I mean, what's what's not unusual? It's not unusual when when tournament organizers kind of realize that they've uh, set too aggressive a guarantee and that they're going to have trouble uh, meeting it. They, they do tend to scramble. And they can scramble in a number of different ways. And, and I think GG are probably using the, these other methods as well. The, uh, I've heard of a few influencers, for example, who've been told that, that they're going to the Bahamas. Um, so they'll pad the field out that way somewhat. You probably remember when Full Tilt came back and they had a big 1 million guarantee in Galway. Um, it turned out the guarantee wasn't 1 million. It was 1 million less the uh, the reg fees. Um, and, you know, organizers will always try to fudge. I, I think... How much sympathy people have towards them kind of depends on on their overall view of the organizer themselves or the brand. I think there's a lot of negative, a lot of people, let's say, have a very negative view of GG, and therefore uh, they're probably getting more heat than previous organizers who did similar stuff in the past, um, but were viewed maybe more uh, kindly by the community. Um, just in the interest of balance, like there's no question that GG have been a great thing overall for online poker in the last last few years. I mean, somebody asked me recently why I wrote in a piece that I wrote on staking that I was optimistic about the future, more optimistic about the future of online poker now than I was a few years ago. And a few years ago, we had an industry leader, stars, who were not only uh, bending over the players in terms of welching on rakeback deals, et cetera, et cetera, but seemed to have no interest in growing poker at all. And and in fact, when you spoke to people inside Stars, they said, yeah, well, online poker is going to die. So all we can do is sort of make the most money on the way out um, and try and get everybody else, uh, try and get all the players onto other stuff where we'll make our real money, sports betting, casino, um, bingo, etc. Then Gigi came on the scene and Gigi focused solely on poker. And they, and, and they basically showed that online poker wasn't dying. They grew uh, the market in a way that no other operator has done um, in a very long time. They may have taken shortcuts, but I think when you talk to actual poker players and you say, okay, well, you know, they're operating in countries where they shouldn't be operating. I mean, most people have sympathy for players in those countries who find themselves due to regulatory overreach, not able to play. So they won't necessarily even see it as that grave a sin. So I think while we are now in a situation where GG are the overwhelming market leader, um, similar to what stars were 10 years ago, um, they've gotten there by basically appealing to recreationals and doing a very good job on that. Unfortunately, they are, they are now showing signs of going the other way, doing what Stars did 10 years ago and recognizing that once you have that market dominance, you can increase the rake. I think they're, as far as I know, they're the most expensive in, in, in almost every format as far as rake goes. And then this other recent stuff that you've highlighted as well. So on the one hand, I would say well done to GG for for all you've done and for growing online poker uh, and getting into such a healthy state. But you know, look to the past. Look what happens to stars when they when they sort of uh, um, started bending the rules in in, in ways that play that, that were clearly not in players' interests. I mean, it's in players' interest to bend the rules to allow people from uh, countries where poker isn't allowed 
uh, to actually play because it, it increases the pool. It's not it's not against it's not in players' interests to increase the rake to egregious levels or to make these deductions. And you know, there, so therefore, people like you who who do shine a light on all of this stuff as soon as it emerges, you're actually doing uh, the poker community a big service doing that. Very balanced take, and I appreciate you giving it, Dara. Uh, Terence, turning back to you, Gigi have also added online day ones for their 15 million main events. That's something plenty of operators do, so certainly not going to be scathing about that. But the consequence is it will toughen up the field. And I suppose when they first announced the 15 million, that wasn't part and parcel of what we were expecting. So there is the movement of goalposts, shall we say. Well, that's an interesting take. Some people actually have the opposite take that it the people who play the online day ones, if they advance through to day two, which will be a large portion of the tougher opponents, won't be at your day one live table. So your actual day one perhaps might be slightly softer. No, okay. um, that said, yeah, online day ones, I have no problem with that. It's it, I, I do think hybrid tournaments are going to be a big thing in these next 10 years in the poker world as events like like the colossus that just stretched what an online operator or a live operator can do offering those live ones kind of or those online ones kind of make that a little more feasible and able to appeal to a larger field but it's when it's when you're taking equity from from one group of players and giving it to another group of players as as Gigi's doing here in the Bahamas, uh, perhaps unintentionally, but to meet their own interest of meeting their guarantee. You know, the relationship between a provider and the players is a very symbiotic one. And with any relationship, you know, you need integrity, communication, and transparency in order for both people to feel good about what they're bringing to the relationship. Um, and unfortunately, the transparency and the communication part often fails on, from a provider's uh, side. So when you have to read the fine print, when you have to dig into the details to find out exactly what's happening, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. If they just come out and, and be upfront and honest, say, hey, we're offering these day ones, Here how it's going. here's how it's going to be. Obviously, not everyone's going to agree with that, but you don't feel like a, a detective that you have to find this out and expose it. That's what I think is the biggest mistake when a, when a provider goes about it that way. Well said as well. Well, look, speaking of live events, Dara, Unibet are about to have two on the same weekend. Uh, I think in an ideal world, this wouldn't have happened, but it's a very popular weekend coming up to Halloween, of course. You're attending the Unibet IPO Dublin while I'm here in Malta at the Unibet DSO-sponsored Malta Poker Festival. I am, by the way, wearing my last year's uh, IPO shirts just because I'm sad I'm, I'm going to miss it because it is one of my favourite festivals. Um, despite the fact that they were sharing satellite liquidity on our client for the past couple of months. Qualifiers for both events have gone terrifically well. It really does feel like live poker boom, alive and well. And, and that does kind of synergize with online as well. Unibet have never been stronger on the online client front uh, in during the summer months this year. We had some of our record months, I know. And that's very unusual for summer months. So it bodes well for the winter when it's more usual that people go indoors and play poker. Um, we've been banging out seats and packages for Alex Henry on the DSO side, Malta. And I know we're on course to hit around 100 qualifiers for the IPO. Barry Carter will be joining you for the IPO, which will also, of course, feature the Chip Race Classic on the Sunday. I'm also devastated with missing that one. Uh, I know you'll be doing a bit of a book giveaway over the weekend too. Are you looking forward to the IPO? I imagine you are. 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to this year more than any other year, uh, basically because you won't be there. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I think I I think there's a real buzz. Like word has got around that Unibet have very kindly put on this <laughs> festival in Malta to keep Lapin away, so they won't have to be dealing with you moaning about bad beats and uh, coming so, forth in the main event. There, that's what they really were. Yeah, bragging about coming forth in the main event several years ago and uh, all last that, year. All <laughs> so, <laughs> you slipped in several years ago. Just <laughs> so, so this will. Uh, yeah, I think there's real buzz about the IPO this year uh, <laughs> because of all those factors, but mainly the fact that you won't be there. And Barry will be instead. And Barry's Barry, Barry's a very popular figure, despite <laughs> despite being English. Because because I mean, at the end of the day, we we Irish prefer the English to the to the West Brits. So um, oh, there it is again. No, but Let's... honestly, seriously, yeah, I think the IPO is going to be really good this year. And uh, uh, the the it's it, it's a fairly well to good put put together schedule as well. There's stuff to play uh, pretty much every day if you bust stuff, which is kind of the way it's gone in Ireland now. People don't like uh, having to bust the tournament and not having another one to play straight away. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be good. And I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Barry as well. Yeah, great schedule there with a 1K, a 500, the 350 main, the 200 ship race event. And as you said, pretty much every few hours, there's a 150 turbo or something of that ilk uh, popping off. Terence, there's the mid to high stakes circuit in poker, and then there's sort of the grassroots circuits as well. But there's also these types of events all over the world uh, that are sort of something in between the, the 300 to $500 buy-in, shall we call them. It seems to be a real sweet spot for getting large fields all over the world. How important do you regard this in-between level for nurturing poker? Well, I think as we move you know, forward where we're appealing to a larger audience and, you know, more and more people are playing. It's important to have price points for everyone. And I think, uh, you know, what providers do is they test out these price points and they see what happens. We're very much like scientists in that way, data scientists and seeing how many show up at each price point. And right now that number, that three to three to 600 number, two to 600 number, just they're crushing every guarantee they offer across the entire how do people have money every guarantee <laughs> hits everywhere um and it's a beautiful thing to see as a tournament poker player um yeah the, but the three to five hundreds seems like you know your one two your one three buy-in is 300 bucks and i think people kind of equate oh it's one buy-in at the cash game and so you're getting a lot of these players these weekend players that come in for take their one shot and and the uh, the appeal of being able to you know 300x your buy in if you happen to make a deep run is just huge you know you're not buying into a 300 tournament with a chance to win you know $15,000 you're looking at a six digit score sometimes for these numbers so the the fact that you can combine that price point with such a high uh, first place prize speaks to just how booming tournament poker is right now and it's a beautiful thing yeah, it really is a beautiful thing. Uh, time now for the results of our Bad Beat competition. And I have a list of the top five in front of me. You gave me your top five. I appreciate you doing that, Terence. Before I read them out, Terence, how many people at Poker.org weighed in on these? And what system or formula did you use for the selection process? Good question. We had a, a four-person panel uh, across our editorial team. And uh, we shared the the top 10 that you guys sent to us, obviously. And then we had an independent, each of us reviewed the 10 of them independent of each other. So we didn't skew each other's thoughts about it at the same time. And we had a, a rating system of one through 10. 
and you could only assign a number, uh, a unique number to each one. So one through 10, uh, all four of us assigned a number to each video, 10 being what we felt was the winner and uh, all the way down to one. So then we took the cumulative score uh, of each one and whichever video got the highest or whichever entry got the highest cumulative score was the winner on down the line. So just aggregate all of our input and then uh, see who came out on top. Gary, you're a numbers guy. That sounds to me a bit like the Eurovision Song Contest. Do you think that was a good system they picked? Yeah, it seems like a good system. Um it's it's all hard because at the end of the day, most people, what most people will do is they'll just read all the ones and one will resonate the most with them and they'll decide that that's the winner. But when you're when you're actually in charge of uh, judging the contest and trying to bring some sort of objectivity towards you, you do have to try and, you know, m m make it a bit better. It's it, it's always a question of like how 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 do you decide the winner of different things like uh, it's not it's not even a question that sports agree on like you have mm. some sports where you know uh, for example throwing competitions where you can throw all your throws can be terrible and then your last throw come up and you throw it farther than everybody else and now you've somehow won the competition uh and then there's other ones other sports which, which are more like golf uh, where it's it's a question of like not making mistakes. Just because you you score a hole in one doesn't mean you won the tournament. Um, and it's yeah, it's 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 always a tricky one. How you're going to decide to and different systems will produce different winners. But well, you know, even if you just ask me what's the worst bad beat, or you ask a random poker player which is the worst bad beat, they're going to have a hard time answering that question. Is it like the worst equity that made the best hand? Is it the most money at stake in the most you know unique spot? So even that question alone is difficult to answer. But when you pose this question, what's your worst bad beat? And it's such a wide variety of entries that you're going to get: some videos, some uh, poems, some uh, stories. And then it doesn't even necessarily have to be a poker hand. You know, the target was so <laughs> wide that we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just one person's subjective opinion. And it was uh, a lot of people forming that. And I've, we felt like getting more people with that rating system allowed us to be a little uh, more accurate with our decision. Yeah, I think what we really appreciated was that you guys did sort of embrace all the ways in which these entries came in. And that was a big emphasis of us when we put the competition. We wanted to emphasize creativity um, and, and obviously we got a, a huge amount of creativity from the people who entered it. I want to say as well, your top five, four of your top five matched Dara and my top five that we did separately. Now, that wasn't going to count. We wanted to put it in your hands. But it's interesting that you came up with more or less the same idea. So I think it is a very, uh, a very good list and, and very deserving the people who made it. So without further ado... In fifth, this one was, for me, an early front runner. Uh, I got to say, I legitimately laughed out loud in an empty room while watching it. It's Mark Tierney's stupid hands, stupid game story about, well, actually, this one's a video, so let's cut it in. We'll, 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 we'll uh, segment it in here to the show, and uh, we'll come back to you after that. Okay, this is the story of the stupidest hand of poker I've played in my life. I'll keep it short, uh, partly because it's a bad beat story and nobody needs that but mostly because if it's longer than two minutes, I'm going to give Elon Musk money. So it's a home game, northeast of England, about 10 years ago. Plenty of beer in the fridge, and there's snacks on the table. The stakes are low, dragon rights quite high. Chips are old and crappy. The felt is old and crappy. The cards, they're new and crappy. So at the start of the night, our host takes the foil off the new deck of cards, 
takes the two jokers from the top of the car, uh, top, from the top of the park, gets rid of them, and our night begins. So, about three, four hours later comes the hand. We're 400 the flop, um, and in this uh, in this hand, there's, it's, it's a home game, everybody's got stupid nicknames. So we've got um, Stopwatch Colin, because he's always talking and never knows if it's his turn. We have Steamboat Paul, because he always seems to get there on the river. And just to my right, we have Neil the Toilet, because he loves to make a flush. Never did find out my nickname, I'm just going to assume it was really bad. So, four-handed of the flop, I have a pair of tens. The flop comes down. Two, six, ten. So there I am, with three tens at this point. All the money goes in on the flop. Nobody needs to know what the action is, I can't remember. But anyway, Colin's got aces, Paul's got twos for a set of twos, Neil's got sixes for a set of six, I've got three tens. So where does the bad beat story come? Well, turn card comes, I have four tens. Jackpot, happy days. River's just a formality here, I can take the biggest part of the night, just wait for it to be dealt. So the dealer gets rid of the burn card, and then comes the river card, and he shows this card. The instructions on how to play bridge. So this card had been sat in the deck the whole night. It had been completely undiscovered until it arrived on the river. It's a misdeal, the hand voided, everybody gets their chips back. I'm the only person in the room who doesn't find it hilarious at this point. And if anybody's lost a hand or didn't win a hand in a more ridiculous way than that, then they deserve to go to Bucharest more than I do. Okay, so there you had it in fourth. The hilarious story submitted by West Wales about the time his propeller plane broke down. He took an arduous journey to play a poker tournament, only to bust first hand. He then went drinking and ended up getting locked out of his hotel room in his boxers. Dara, you thought this one was maybe, you know, one of the uh, favourites to win, right? Yeah, I definitely like, I, I really like this one. Uh, part of it is, I, is, is, is unfortunately, well, not unfortunately. Fortunately, I know Ed, so I could hear it in his voice, <laughs> and, and he has a very dry uh, sense of humor. Um, so yeah, I probably wasn't the most uh, objective when it came to that, but yeah, I, I certainly thought this was this was a very strong contender. Um, I think we can all relate to traveling a long way to play a tournament that you then bust first, <laughs> uh, which has become a more increasing phenomenon since people max late rage as as I did in the story. Um, but yeah, it's still not fun. And shamelessly plugged your book in the middle of the story, which I thought was strategically very smart of him, i got to say. Well, that's the main reason I liked it so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, in third place was the video submission from El Gato, which I called a hazardous football bet, which never happened. Watch it and see why. So the year is 2014. Uh, I had quit my um, comfortable not well-paying, but consistent job of being a teacher, moved over to England to give a shot at uh, living with my partner at the time, no longer, and play some poker for some income. A uh, bit later, I am completely broke, and uh, skint, as some would say, and I mean broke. I had nothing to my name, a couple hundred quid total, no savings, nothing. And it's nearing my end of, end of nearing the end of my time there, and my partner's brother, Danny, uh, still a good friend of mine, takes me to a Chelsea match uh, to watch some football. So me being me, I don't admit, don't want to admit that uh, I'm actually broke. Of course, uh, you know, too much pride. Um, and we go to the match, and we get there, and it's decided that one of us will put a bet on for the match. 
and one of us will get the uh, the pints. So I decide to uh, have Danny go make the bets. I give him 20 quid, and I say, put 20 quid on Hazard to score first and Chelsea to win 3-0. He goes over to put the bets. I get the pints. About five minutes later, he comes back. We have the pints. We go back into the ground uh, for the start of the match. I said, uh, and he said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. The, uh, the lines were too long. I didn't want to wait, so I didn't put the bet on. Okay. So, of course, you now know where this is headed. Uh, despite Newcastle missing a few chances, it was Chelsea-Newcastle match 2014. Uh, Hazard scores the first goal of the match. I'm feeling, oh, well, you know, that'll happen, but what are the chances of it being 3-0? Um, Newcastle have a, ch- a couple chances, don't score. Hazard scores again. believe it was 2-0 at halftime. Second half, Hazard takes a penalty, scores it. The match ends 3-0, despite uh, multiple chances on both sides, including a one-on-one from Chelsea's new signing, making his Chelsea debut. Uh, Mo Salah ends up being one of the best goal scorers the Prem's ever seen, but I couldn't slot it home that day to save my bad beat. So I get one of those betting sheets to see, just to torture myself and see what the odds were on my Hazard to score first, Chelsea to win 3-0. It was 175 to 1. So I would have gone from skint to having, uh, at that point, pretty much the most money I would have ever had uh, in cash in my life. And uh, to make it worse, Danny, who again I said is a great guy, still a good friend of mine, spends the rest of the night torturing me about what I could have had and uh, ordering drinks and making me foot the bill. Uh, So I ended the night pretty much dead skint. That, my friends, is a bad beat. And then in second, so sort of drum roll because people will be imagining their favorite two and wondering which one we went for. I've got to say, if I was picking my favorite, it would have been a real toss up between these two as well um, from who would be the ultimate winner. It was an extraordinarily well written, I got to say, and hysterically funny entry from Kipplesworth about his night in a pub game in Athen Rye. I was crying laughing throughout. It almost read like a James Joyce short story. Uh, absolutely brilliant. And uh, Terrence, I would need to ask the question, how close to winning did this one come? They were uh, about, without saying actual numbers, about as close as you can be. Uh, it was neck and neck and pretty almost exclusively in all four of our rating systems, like these two were at the top or near the top. So couldn't have gotten much closer. You could say it was a bad beat for this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, it's time to announce the winner of our bad beat competition, the person who will be joining us in Bucharest for the Unibet Open. It is such a good story that I think it's actually now part of Irish poker folklore. It is, of course, Gary Clark's story about the night Gus Hansen taught him an off-the-felt blocker lesson. Uh, Dara, this one is a very, very worthy winner, right? This one's extremely worthy winner, and Gary. Everybody knows Gary knows that Gary actually has a, has a few of these stories. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm glad he selected this one to 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 be his actual bad beat. Uh, I have literally known Gary since the very start of my career. Um, my very first big live result, European Deep Stack. Um, I was first. Gary was second. There was no actual heads up because the tournament ended with a, a five way chop with me with. Uh, the most chips and Gary with second. So I've known Gary over the entire course of my career. Gary has traveled all over the world, not just for poker. He also turns up in 
all, all parts of America at NFL games, which is a particular passion of his, and other other big sporting occasions. He's a real tourist in the in in the in the best sense of that word. He sort of like goes into all the dive bars and meets meets people and uh, stuff like that. The most alarming thing for me about Gary winning was when I told my wife after I found out. Um, it was the most excited I've seen her in a long time, and I was like, <laughs> I, I, I knew I knew she'd met Gary a few times, but you know, my wife doesn't really like poker players. Um, and she was, oh, no, I talk to Gary online all the time, uh, which <laughs> complete news to me. Very, very alarming news, I have to say. Yeah, you might need to watch that there. <laughs> yeah, Gary has somehow circumvented her. I mean, you know, my my, my closest friends, Marie, won't even tolerate them. So the fact that she, Gary has somehow wormed his way in there is, 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 is a bit concerning. But yeah, it is a great story. Um, it's one that had is very well known in Irish poker uh, um, for obvious reasons. Um, And Gary always tells it brilliantly. He really does. I was actually there that night. He describes the scene in the nightclub and uh, I was there. I remember chanting his name as we all wished him well. It it wasn't to be from that night, but you never know. Maybe it'll be to be for him in Bucharest. Now, Terence, give us your overall thoughts on the competition and also what the poker org team deemed to be the best what like what put this one over the top i suppose sure uh for first of all i wasn't as familiar as it is in irish poker culture or I, I didn't know this story so this was fresh to me which made it hilarious i loved the story first of all okay bad beat that gus hansen walks into the bar right that's <laughs> that alone when you're trying to court a girl that that's a bad beat but some bad beats you can do everything right and you still lose right I feel like uh, Gary made a couple mistakes here. <laughs> First of all, I'm not walking up and introducing someone I'm interested in to Gus Hansen. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you took you you played that street incorrectly. I'll say that. <laughs> but but the he you know he presented the story so funny. It's it's just too too ridiculous to be made up. Um, it happens in a bar. You can just feel the. I feel the scene almost, you know, I, I wish I were there. It's a story that I wish I got to witness myself. And then the fact that, you know, there's just the picture at the end of it with him and <laughs> Gus Hansen next to each other, just the juxtaposition of <laughs> Gus Hansen, you know, is this negative thing in this night for him. And then, you know, they're still smiling next to each other in the picture. This was so fantastic. But for, for us, um, I think it was a combination of creativity um, the ability to express the story well, um, the ability to paint a picture, um, but also just the general situation. Um, you know, this this is something that's embedded into this man's life for the rest of his life. He knows it. It'll always stick with him. I'm sure he can smell the bar that night. And, um, and, and of course, it's stuck around in lore appropriately so for so long. So I'm glad to hear that it's also, you know, affected other people as much as it affected us it was so much fun it it was a really really tough decision i agonized over my ratings and um i'm glad to hear that it lined up with your guys feelings of the top five and and my fellow counterparts also felt the same so i I think we made a good choice but i wish i could award the winner to everybody i wholeheartedly agree i think you made a great choice in the end well, I'm sorry that we have now unfortunately put uh, a bad beat on the other nine finalists. I am delighted for Gary, who will hopefully now get a run in Unibet Open Bucharest while he's there. There are some runners-up prizes I want to announce as well. The finalists who didn't win will all receive €25 Euro Unibet poker tickets, except Kipplesworth, 
who will get nothing. Good day, sir. No, not really. Uh, I'm actually going to get in touch with him right now after this goes to air and tell him that we loved his entry so much that we will be giving him a choice between a 200 euro chip race classic tournament ticket for next week's IPO or if he prefers it, a 250 euro satellite ticket to the Unibet Open Bucharest. So maybe, just maybe, if he runs well in that satellite, he can still join us in the Romanian capital uh, in December. On that very happy note, it remains for me to thank our special guest, Terence Reid. Thank you for having me. The only thing that would make this story better is if one of those two guys goes on and wins the thing, and then I get to write the story about it. Oh, we hope so. That would be good. Uh, Darrow Carney, thank you very much, as always. Thank you, David. And before we go, I'd like to remind our audience of the upcoming Unibet Open online series, which runs October 29th until November 20th. That's our big series, the biggest and most ambitious schedule we've ever put together for our three-week-long flagship festival. The usual, but now even bigger leaderboards are attached to this one, and we hope you can all participate. We would warmly welcome you on Unibet, of course. With that final bit of shameless plugging done, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, guys.